Open your copy of God's Word to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're looking at the first half this morning, Ecclesiastes 10, 1 through 11. Let's hear God's Word. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart, a wise man's heart directs him towards the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him towards the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking and it demonstrates to everyone that he's a fool. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places like rich men sit in humble places. Uh, I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. He who digs a pit may fall into it and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. and He who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there's no profit for the charmer. Now, a lot of practical advice here in this portion of God's Word. Let me just say at the beginning, some people find this to be support for which political party they should join, especially verse 2 when it says, The wise man's heart either directs him, directs him to the right, and the foolish man goes to the left. This is not a political statement. Uh, even though there is, you know, a conservative right and a liberal left, here the, the issue is not politics. The issue is contrast. Wise is on one side. Foolish is on another side. And really you see that all the way through this passage. It's a contrast to what I'm calling sensible living. What's, what's the right way to do life correctly? Um, and he's going through that in a number of illustrations through it. Just sensible living. Since it's Mother's Day, you know, my mama always said, do right because it is right. You know, it's, it's, just, it's sensible. It's, it's the right thing to do. Do right because it's sensible. It makes sense. It is right. Um, we need sensible living. Have you ever... Uh, you know, gone down some slippery stairs or when it's icy, stepped on some ice or even slipped on a wet floor. And as soon as you pick yourself back up, you just kind of knock your head and say, what was I thinking? I saw the wet spot. I saw the ice. I know better than that. That, that did not make sense. Apparently, we need reminders because if somebody mops the floor, they put down a sign, wet floor. If you're crossing a bridge, there's signs on both sides. Bridge, ices before road. We know this stuff. But apparently we need reminders because we forget. It makes good sense to pay attention. Um, Ecclesiastes 10, to me, that's, this is a reminder. It's one of those signs that says this just makes good sense. Do you need the reminder sometimes to live right? Uh, uh, that's what I think he's doing for us. I've tried to break it into three parts. 
to think about living sensibly is living with a correct heart, a composed heart, and a cautious heart. First of all, let's look at the correct heart. And when you look at verses 1 through 3, uh, it's simply summed up this way, that no advantage ever comes from foolishness. There's just no advantage for being foolish. And he's trying to show that through his illustrations, uh, that uh, one little fly can stink up a perfumer's barrel, or uh, wise people should know that. Foolish people don't seem to get it. Verse 3, the fool walks, and uh, it's just evident he's being foolish. It's just no advantage to being foolish. Um, Back in the 70s, when I thought I could dance, I really can't, still can't dance, uh, but there came out a song I really liked. It was by the Mighty Mighty Tams. Anybody remember them? Uh, all right, got a few old folks in here. Uh, they came out with a song. You, you've all heard the song, Be Young, Be What? Foolish. Yeah, so you know it. Be Young, Be Foolish, Be Happy. I like that song, but there's something terribly wrong with that song, isn't it? It's okay to be young, it's okay to be happy. But there's no advantage to being foolish. As a matter of fact, the guy who wrote that song, even though he probably made millions, he died in a homeless shelter in Gainesville, Georgia, at age 69. Foolish choices. Foolish choices. There's no advantage to being foolish. Um, he gives this illustration, verse 1, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. Um, so a little foolishness, it's weightier. Just a little foolishness can do more harm than a lot of wisdom and honor. Uh, interesting, isn't it? Um, I've killed a lot of flies in my life. I can't remember a fly that stinks. You know, it's, it's just too little to smell. I just don't have that good a sense of smell and so he's using that intentionally that if you were making perfume and you've got a barrel full of perfume and you've got dead flies that come down attracted by the smell and they die in the perfume that it makes the whole thing worthless and it's 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 hard to believe how one fly can make that that kind of damage um i'll give it to you a different way when i was in high school i did uh has a bunch of jobs, and, and one was I bust tables for, for a little while at a steak restaurant, and uh, the, the waiters and waitresses would make sweet tea in a 30-gallon plastic container, you know, basically a trash can, but it was a, a, a clean, fresh trash can, and you can imagine that much, 30 gallons all the way down, filled up with sweet tea, and they take their pitchers through there, and they dip a, a whole pitcher at one time and rush out and fill up everybody's glass with sweet tea. Well, I, I went into the kitchen one day, and they had just made a fresh pot of uh, sweet tea, and the, the water was still swirling. And as I looked over there in it, there was a roach about that big. You know, just... All the way around uh, in that... Uh, that to 30 gallons of tea. What are you going to do? What I would do, I'd keep one of those pictures and I'd take that thing out of there and we're good, right? 
The manager poured the whole 30 gallons down the drain. So y'all are good. You're safe. One roach destroyed a lot of tea. You get the point? One sin, one act of foolishness, as little as it is, can do tremendous harm. That's his point. Foolishness is not an advantage. One affair ruins a marriage, a life. One act of cheating in school can make you have a dishonorable reputation for the rest of your life. One lie can send you to jail. In the Old Testament, not keeping the Sabbath day holy could have you stoned. One sin. One taking of the Lord's Supper wrongly has many people sick and weak, and some die. One sin can do tremendous harm. So we need to evaluate our hearts. Our hearts engaged in a sin right now there's something you want to hold on to then you know it's foolish do you need a sign do you need a reminder you don't need to go there you don't need to do that that one act of foolishness can end up doing tremendous harm the danger of one sin do you, the wise man's heart directs him to what's right. That's verse 2. The foolish man directs him to stay in that foolish endeavor. Uh, that's where I get the idea of heart. The correct heart. What is a correct heart? He, he points out, verse 3, that when a fool walks along the road, you know he's a fool. I mean, you can just tell. Uh, you, in other words, again, you can't hide it phrase we say around here is you can't hide money, right? You can't hide it. You can look at somebody's car, you can look at their house, you can look at their dress and say, yeah, you can't hide money. That person's got it. You know it. Same way with foolishness. You can't hide foolishness. Just watch somebody. Listen to somebody. And you begin to see real quick, you can't hide foolishness. It's going to come out. It's going to be exposed. Where does it come from? Look at Mark chapter 7 with me. Mark 7. 18 through 23. Jesus tells us something important here about the heart. Mark 7, beginning at verse 18. Jesus speaking, he says, Are you so lacking in understanding? Do, do, do you not, are you not wise enough to get this? Are you lacking in so understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. In other words, food don't make you foolish. He declares there's nothing wrong with the food. What's the problem is the heart. Verse 20, he was saying to them, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. 
Evaluate your heart. Do you have any of those things? You can't hide it. You can't hide it. We're going to see it at some point. If these things are in your heart and they're unattended, in other words, if you don't repent, if you don't confess your sins before God and get cleansed from your sin in your heart, these things are going to come out. The adultery is going to come. The envy is going to come. The lying's going to come. The cheating's going to come. The foolishness will be observed at some point. You can't hide it. Your sin, God makes that clear in Scripture, your sin will find you out. Can't hide it. So we've got to deal with our hearts. We've got to go to God and, and get straight if we want to avoid the path of foolishness. So as I was thinking about that, what does it take to have a good heart, a correct heart? Let me just give you two thoughts to think about to have a correct heart before God. I think a correct heart is, is a Christ-centered heart, and it's a sin-straying heart. In other words, if, if my heart is right, I am pursuing Christ, and I, I want Christ to be center, central of all that I do. And I'm running away from sin. I'm sin-straying, and I'm Christ-pursuing. You can evaluate, are you, do you have that kind of heart? A heart that's seeking Christ right now, and is a heart that's running and fast from sin. You know sin is crouching at the door. It's trying to master you. You've got to be running from it. First of all, a Christ-centered heart. Look at Matthew 22, verse 37. Our great commandments right here. Matthew 22, verse 37. And he said to them, or him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Do you have a Christ-centered heart? Ask yourself, am I loving Christ with all my heart, with all my mind, with all of my strength? Is He really the center of my life? Um, as I evaluate my heart from day to day, I have to confess, God, I, I'm not always all in. I'm not thinking of you as I should. I'm not feeling the way I should. I'm not pursuing the way I should. All my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind needs to be focused on loving, pursuing Christ. I'll give you another passage to think about our hearts being Christ-centered. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 5. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Best illustration of this, if this, this would hold me up, it might. Um, I'm leaning on this podium. If you move that podium, what's going to happen? If I'm truly leaning on it and the podium moves, I'm going to fall. Are you leaning on Christ? That's the illustration here. Are you trusting Christ in such a way that if Christ moves, you fall? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on Him, not your own understanding. Lean on Him. Are you that focused on Christ? 
following his word, his ways, so that you're sure to do it his way and not yours. Because he's not going to move, but we move all the time, and foolishness will find us out. Give you one other passage. Look at Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. This has several applications in it. It says this, Now Israel, what does, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? It's a great passage because it's going to answer the question, what God requires from us. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Another great passage for evaluation. Are we God-centered? Are we Christ-centered? Do we revere Him, fear Him? We come to worship Him. Do we walk in His ways? Well, you have to know His ways. You have to know His commands. Do you walk in the commandments of God? Do you love Him? Do you engage with Him? Do you serve the Lord? Are you engaged in ministry for Christ? Are you thinking about what has God put you on earth for? What is your calling? How has He designed you? What are you supposed to be doing? And you're doing that for Him. That's the kind of heart that's going to avoid foolishness. It's a Christ-centered heart. Well, let's look at the whole concept of sin-straying heart as well. Look at Psalm 125. Psalm 125, verse 4 and 5. Psalm 125, verse 4 and 5 says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. That sounds like a Mother's Day statement. Son, God does good to those who are good. I like it. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But as for those who turn aside to their crooked ways... The Lord will lead them away with the doers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Don't turn away to sin. Stray from sin. The only way to do good is we must be straying from sin. You remember Psalm 51, verse 10? Psalm 51, verse 10? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And the word create there is the same words you got in Genesis. God created. God made out of nothing the heavens and the earth. God, do that in me. Create in me cleanliness because it's not there. I'm a sinner. I'm polluted by my sin. God, I want to get rid of it. We must run to Christ to stray from sin. Asking God to cleanse us from our sin, to purify us from within. Um, what is sin? It's a great question. God gives us a very simple answer in 1 John 3, verse 4. Sin, this is a direct quote, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. God has a standard. It's the law of God. And anything that's to the right or to the left of God's standard is sin. We sin by straying from an absolute, perfect, inerrant standard. So we've got to ask ourselves, with everything we do, with everything we think, 
am, am, I on, am I on the standard? Am I doing what I'm doing? Am I thinking what I'm thinking? And is it consistent with the law of God? The law of God just tracks the run on. And they begin with loving God. Are we straying sin? To stray sin, you must know the law of God. And you must follow it. Evaluate your hearts. The heart of the problem is always the problem of the heart. The heart of your problem, the heart of my problem, is always a problem of the heart. Evaluate our hearts, because our hearts will determine whether or not we're living sensibly or not. We are either going to be foolish, or we're going to be sensible. And if we're going to be sensible, we must have hearts that are focused on God and His Word always. Second sensible living principle that he gives us in Ecclesiastes 10 is not only keeping our hearts correct, but keeping ourselves composed, keeping our emotions in check. Verses 4 through 7. Verse 4, the principle is there. If the ruler's temper rises, so you ever have a ruler, someone over you that is hot-headed, and they're against you, their temper rises against you, says, don't abandon your position. You don't give up your principles. Because, but you compose yourself. Because composure allays great offenses. So somebody can be coming against you. You need to stand composed. Don't just give in. But do get quiet. Get respectful. Get submissive. There's lots of things we can do. But it's composure that is required in sensible living. You've seen people like this. People that don't get hot-headed, that don't fly off the handle. They just seem to know what's right. And so they don't get flustered when something wrong's going on. They just kind of get quiet. You can see them thinking. You can see them evaluating. You can see they're composed. They know what's right, even if you're coming at them with something wrong, with something that's wrong, and they just stay composed. And they pursue what's right when it's right to pursue it. That's what he's asking us to do. We can get there if the first part of that, you're focused on Christ and His law. You know what's right and you do it even though something's wrong is coming against you. Respond with composure. The word allay there, we don't use it too much uh, because composure allays great offenses. The word allay means to subdue. It subdues offenses. It means to reduce offenses, offenders. We have foolish superiors at times. We have people that walk around us and over us without composure. He says, no, you need to walk in a composed manner. Another adage that you've heard is, is walk softly with a big stick. It's that kind of thing. The big stick is the principles of God's Word. Ha have strength in your principles. But be soft, be tender, be composed uh, when others are coming against you to think about how you should respond and respond correctly. Uh, he gives verses 5, I think, through 7. Uh, just his, his, his illustration that uh, incompetence will not really win, in, win out in the end. Uh, and he's con contrasting competence with incompetence. Uh, 
verse, verse uh, 5, there's this evil, he says, that I see uh, under the sun. It's, it's, it's an error that goes forth from the ruler. Folly is, is exalted, shouldn't be. Rich men are in humble places. Now, he's not saying all rich men are humble. He's using a contrast. He's not saying we have to be rich. He's just saying... Using rich men as an illustration. Rich men are typically men that um, have experience. They should be the ones ruling instead of the, the foolish people. That's the contrast that he's given. Verse 7, I've seen slaves. See, same contrast. Slaves that are like riding on the ruler's horses. When the princes are acting like the slaves. He said, this is, this is wrong. That we've got things out of place. Uh, Verse 7, uh, well, that's pretty much what I just read. So society is evil like that sometimes. You've got the wrong people in the wrong places. And we see that. When that's happening, what do we do? He says composure will go a long way. You've got a, some great offenses. Composure will go a long way. An illustration, I think, of what he's, what he's getting at. You remember the story of Esther? Let me share just a little bit of it. Uh, Esther chapter 2. I just want to um, share this part about Mordecai. Esther 2, beginning at verse 21. Mordecai. In, the, in those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh. I love that name. Nobody's ever used that in my lifetime. Bigthan. I like that. When you have a boy, think about that. It might be a good one. Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials, so I guess we don't use it because they, they were bad guys. King's officials from those who guarded the door became angry and they sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So see, Mordecai is there and he just overhears that Bigthan and Teresh, they want to kill the king. Basically how the story goes is Mordecai says to Esther, since she's got the king's ear, these guys are trying to kill the king. You think you might want to share that with him? He's going to want to know this. And so she does, and he investigates and finds out, sure enough, they are trying to kill him. So the king knocks them out. Mordecai kept his composure. He didn't get hot-headed. He had people above him that were doing offensive stuff. He just uses the proper channels, very composed, very quiet, and when nobody rewards him for it, nobody says, hey, great job, Mordecai. He still stays composed, just goes about his work. Later on, if you read the whole book of Esther, Mordecai is the hero. Because he realized he was the man with great wisdom on what to do. He was the man composed. I think that's what Solomon's trying to teach us in Ecclesiastes. That kind of composure, when foolish stuff's happening around you goes a long way. It'd go a long way in a marriage, wouldn't it? If your spouse was kind of acting foolish, if you were just composed instead of fighting back, it'd go a long way at a workplace. The boss was kind of irate and he just kept doing the right thing in a right way that was profitable. With composure, it'd go a long way in school if your teachers seemed to be asking you to do crazy stuff, but you were composed and did the right thing. That's 
the wisdom that Solomon has given, not only keep our hearts correct, keep them composed, so that our example, our ministry, is an effective, fruitful ministry. One of my, just reminded me, one of my favorite Psalms of David is Psalm 131. It's only three verses. Let me give you a couple verses of this. When, when I first came across this and realized it was King David that was writing, it kind of blew me away. Psalm 131 says, O Lord, my heart's not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters. That's the phrase that just blew me away. I said, wait a minute, he's king. How can he not be involved in great matters? And he goes on, or things too difficult. I think well, nothing was too difficult for David, was it? And then he says, surely I have composed. And notice his illustration. Composed and quieted my soul like a winged child rests against his mother. You've seen a baby nurse. And he's saying, that's the kind of life I want. I want to be content to just stay in mom's arms. I want to be content to... Stay where God has me. And I don't want to push myself up into things too great or too difficult. If God wants to exalt me there, so be it. And God did exalt David. But David got that exalted place of being king because he started in a humble place, being composed. A heart content on letting God do the exalting. A heart content to just do what God had called him to do. What he was designed to do. That's what God's calling us to do. Sensible living. A correct heart. A composed heart. Moving on. Ecclesiastes 10. The last few verses. Verses 8 through 11. Keeping our hearts cautious. Now, when I say cautious, cautious from what? I want you to think about how many times we spend most of our lives trying to protect ourselves. So cautious from self-protection. A lot of the whole COVID scene, what, why have we been doing what we've been doing? Self-protection. We say, yeah, we're also protecting others. Correct. It's all about self-protection. And he's given us, it's interesting, a caution here against just that kind of protocol, self-protection. All of the illustrations that he uses are seemingly saying accidents happen. Verse 8, you dig a, a pit, but accidents happen. You could fall into the very pit you're digging. And it blows what you were trying to do. Um, a serpent may bite you. You, you know, you, you're out there digging and a snake bites you. Verse 9, you quarry stone, trying to be profitable, and a stone falls on you. Or you're a logger, and you're dealing with logs, and yet one of those happened to hurt you. He's just pointing out that we work hard at times, and accidents happen. We work hard for what? To protect ourselves, and yet we then don't get protected. And... How do we deal with that? And I think the command is here to be cautious. You may have a translation, verse 8 and verse 9, where the verb 
has been translated will instead of may. I think may is the better translation. So in other words, verse 8 says, he who digs a pit, some of you may have the translation, will fall into it. I don't think that's really what the context is about. It's a better English word for us would be may, because it, it's about the probability. You're doing good stuff, and there's a strong probability or possibility that an accident will happen. He who digs a pit may fall. It's probable. Or a serpent may bite, not will bite. Or verse 9, you quarry stones and it, it may, you may get hurt by them. You may not. But accidents happen. And when you're trying to stay away from trouble, trouble still comes. What can we do when that's happening? And he gives the answer to that, verses 10 and 11, by saying just be smart. Um, if you got a dull act, Axe, sharpen it first. That's just smart. It doesn't bounce if it's sharp and it hits you. And he gives the same illustration with the serpent. If you know there's a serpent there, charm it first. You know, figure out a way to keep it from biting you. Don't just go in without that. Be cautious. Trust God for wisdom. Don't not seek the wisdom of God. Um, there's principles all through God's Word on how to live in tough times. And that's what he's asking us to do, is come up with wisdom, to trust God to be... If, if accidents are going to happen, we've got to get back to trusting God to be our protector and not ourselves. The great psalm that so many people know is Psalm 121 that deals with this. Let me just uh, read it. Let me I'll tell you what. I, let me read beginning at verse 2, because some people... Here, verse 1, and uh, uh, say, oh yeah, I know that, and they forget the application. Let me, let me begin at verse 2, Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Instead of living our lives to protect ourselves, let's trust God to protect us. Be cautious. Be smart, sharpen the axe, charm the snake. Yes, be sensible. But realize that still won't protect you completely. God has to be your protector. So trust God for the protection we need. God wants us to seek Him, to have a correct heart, a composed heart, a cautious heart. God's way not the way of a fool. There's no advantage, not one, to being foolish. Why do we do foolish stuff? There's no advantage, not one, to being foolish. How will you use your time today? How will your conversations go? What's going to happen tomorrow? You can start thinking, I can start thinking of so many foolish choices I can make. 
Will I take the time to say, let's do this correctly. Let's be composed. Let's be cautious. And let's trust God. Let's pray together. Father, it's so easy for us to be like sheep that go astray every single day. Father, forgive us of our sins. You call us back to sensible living, to living under the sovereign will and care of our God. We thank you for this reminder. We ask that you, Father, would grow us up to be wise sons and daughters of the King, that we would do you proud, that we would please our God by the living we live. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word that guides and directs and helps and protects. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.